You're listening to the Converging Paths podcast, brought to you by Barakat Trust, with the support of the Altagir Trust and the Aga Khan Trust for Culture. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast series. And we're very happy to have Wael Sabri, who's working on a fascinating project between Turkey and Egypt about kundikari, a certain type of woodwork. Welcome, Wael. Welcome, Seif. It's a pleasure being with you. Well, I think it would be very useful if you could tell us what kundikari actually is, because I'm sure very few people know. Uh, actually, kundikari is a Turkish word. It, in Arabic, it's a jam'iya, or assembly, in English. And actually naming a very specific traditional art and crafts forming of wooden pieces to be intricately interlocked, governed by a subtle Islamic geometry, to construct a full wooden panel completely free of glue or nails. So given that we can't see this panel, can you just explain how a kundikari panel differ from just an almost cupboard door? Yeah, if you have a door, for example, if you have a frame of a door, uh, of a leaf of a door, then you have a panel inlay in the middle. And, and this inlay in the Western carpentry is a one panel, one uh, huge panel, or maybe two or three panels in, in this case. But in kundikari, it's uh, small, smaller pieces because we don't have these big uh, trees in the Middle East and in Anatolia. So it's more small pieces of interlocked wooden com- components that actually form the whole panel. So a, a panel that is broken down into smaller pieces. And to, to put these small pieces together, you have to have main components that represent the main structure to hold the panel in its place. And also you have secondary elements. We call the main, the main elements uh, mothers or ummahat in Arabic. And uh, we call the, the smaller pieces sons or uh, subcomponents or secondary components. And you, could, you can call it also in, uh, in craft as uh, a kaab or a kaab. So can you give us an indication as to how many small pieces of wood would create, say, a 50 centimeter by 50 centimeter panel? Actually, it's, it depends on the, the, how intricate is the Islamic pattern, the base uh, of the panel. But it ranges from uh, 50 by 50, it ranges from around 50 pieces to, uh, to maybe 150 pieces. Oh, wow. A huge number. It's, uh, yeah, it's, sometimes it's very light. It's not very heavy in the de- detail. I mean the Islamic pattern itself. So the, the components are less than the, the fully intricate ones. And why does Kondikari develop as a tradition? Actually, yeah, it, it, it is uh, always craft has been developed to meet a need. So uh, there was a need actually to have wooden panels in a very harsh climate condition. If we are talking about Egypt, the difference in temperature, the difference, difference in humidity between winter and, and summer, and also in Anatolia and the, in the Middle East. It is very difficult to, to put one piece of inlay in the panel because it will shrink and contract, like contract and expand with, uh, with humidity. And this will cause actually deterioration of the whole piece of wood, the whole, whole piece of wooden product. But in our case, it was very wise from these master carpenters to break down this big inlay to smaller pieces. So we have a smaller contraction shrink and smaller expand with the weather change. So it means actually breaking down the problem into small, smaller problems and actually t- tackling smaller problems and it will be easier. 
And where do we find Kundakari historically? You mentioned Anatolia and Egypt. Are these the only two regions? There's no fully clear about what is the start, but there was a claim and some traces in the the early Sojuk state, I mean, uh, in the 11th century, in Anatolia, Syria, Palestine, and most of Iran. But when it comes to have very concrete traces, you can say it started parallel in three regions, Anatolia, Egypt, uh, and Aleppo. So it's around the the 12th century. And what makes a Kundikari panel distinctive, apart from the fact that it's made of small pieces of wood, visually or, I mean, in other ways? Actually, many, many crafts are taken from the geometric Islamic patterns, a platform or a base. A full line of crafts, actually, from painting, tiling, stained glass with gypsum windows and reaching to Kondekari. It's a full line of crafts based on, on that uh, particular geometry. So the direction of this line represents the complexity uh, w- with the Kondekari. Actually, represent not only complexity, but the uh, inter- interconnecting layers of details, uh, embodied knowledge, intricacy. So at the top of this a line or at the end of this line is Kondikari. So Kondikari is the most craft that, uh, that is intricate, full of uh, levels of details and, and knowledge, embodied knowledge and complexity. What kind of complexity are you talking about? You, you have different levels of complexity and uh, not only in the geometry generation, but you, you need to know that you cannot actually figure out how the panel has been made without actually dismantling the, the panel and look at, at its back. And, and then only you will figure out that it's not only pieces that is in a geometry form assembled around each other. There's an interlocking between them. It has structural elements. It has sub-elements. It's a full and every single level of or layer of, of the making process has its own knowledge, how to do the forming, how to do the assembly, how to do to, to dig decision, which part should be mother, which part would, should be son, I mean the main component or subcomponent and so on. So to summarize, a Kundikari panel has usually a very complex or elaborate geometric design from the front. But if you look at the back, what you see is something completely different. Yes, you would see the reality, what I, uh, you can say. So from the, from the front, you see only in interconnecting lines and forms but you will never figure out how it is made. And uh, when you look at the back, you will find clearly which parts uh, represent the structure, the main structure, which other parts is actually depending on, and so on. And also you will figure out how intricate is the configuration of each part to meet and interlock and to be able to interlock with the other part. Every piece should be configured properly to have the appropriate interface to meet the other piece. And what interested you in this craft? Because you're an architect. Yeah, it's as architecture. Architecture is, uh, it, it involves different uh, layers of knowledge as well. So when you're talking about building, you're talking about design, form, function, and structure. And so the, you, you see here the layers of knowledge that you need actually to capture to be able to build a building. And the same in Kondikari. When you, for example, uh, look at Kondikari, you, you will find easily that it's not a, an, an easy craft to do. It's not a straightforward. It, it is mysterious. 
And this is also it's fascinating. And you think the mystery of it becomes part of the aim or is it something in, unintended? No, actually, this, the whole craft has been developed based on the need to have this fascinating Islamic geometry appearing at the front of the panel. But how to do it? In tiling, for example, you cut the tile with the shape of the piece, of the geometry, and just like the lay the tiles against each other, no problem. But in wood, you need to have the structure. And to have the structure, you need to get every pieces to be connected to the other one. This need, needs actually more intricate acts in the level of decision of structure, in, this, in, decision, in, the, in the level of the making itself, the forming, the wood and everything. So it leads to the, in, the complexity. It, it was not intended. Okay. And can you tell us a bit about your project and what it aims to do with respect to the craft? Yes, actually, this craft is deteriorating and it is in a vicious circle of low market demand due to change of taste and purchasing culture, stagnant production culture, uh, and decreasing number of makers due to limited technology transfer and apprenticeship. The knowledge also is getting deteriorated and distorted throughout time, uh, skills, a lack of comprehensive documentation for the craft. Always we are documenting the Islamic patterns, how the panels appears from, uh, from the front, but we, we never tell people how it is made in our, in our documentation. There are very few documentation around the world actually revealing the secrets behind the making process itself. And it's becoming with this all, uh, with even decreasing number of makers, it, it's becoming an affordable product. With the increasing prices, and uh, and and based of that, actually, th there is a need to revive the to the preserve the craft, and, and that's the reason behind the project. Uh, this is your question. My project actually is is only a trial and a start to document and democratize the knowledge of contemporary making uh, process through digitization and dissemination. And can you just tell us a bit more about why the craft is disappearing? Yes, it's, it is a, a full vicious circle that, that has the two main sides, the demand side and the, and the supply side. The supply side is declining uh, in form of a decreasing number of makers. There's no apprenticeship, uh, no technology transfer to the generation, the next generations. And also with the, with the time decreasing or deteriorating knowledge and also distorted knowledge, this is the supply side. And the demand side is also affected by this. And the, the demand is decreasing due to the change in the taste, in the community taste, and also the high prices of the craft at the end. So it's become uh, not affordable. So tell us a bit more about your project to capture the knowledge and to digitize and democratize it. Because we are talking here about the making, you need actually to, to spend time with the craftsmen and to ask them, the right questions. First of all, you need to find the master carpenters that they hold most of the knowledge for the making process. And I found two craftsmen, one in Cairo and one in Istanbul. I worked with, with Hassan Abu Zaid in Cairo for uh, many years, but I still have missing bits and pieces in the knowledge I need to capture. And also I get to know Isma Terzi in Istanbul, and he's also practicing Kondikari maker uh, presently. And the idea was actually to, to bring these two crafts together in sessions and 
re revealing the knowledge or capturing the knowledge during the discussions about different details and how they made it and so on. I found that this might be a good way to capture the knowledge that, uh, as you know, all these makers, they are not teachers who can teach somebody, but they are very good craftsmen. They cannot talk much about how they are making this, but they, they can just make it. And to capture, you need to live with them, to let, let them discuss things. So knowledge and embodied, embodied knowledge is small and bits and pieces of uh, know-how uh, will be revealed. Why? Because they learned it from a young age. So it's like speaking a language, but not, not being able to explain how yes. the grammar works and why. A very good explanation of this. Yes, exactly. Because it's, it's uh, also, it, they have this knowledge embodied like as, as language, as, uh, as behavior. And then they cannot actually say how they do this, but they can just like do it. Yeah. And what's the idea of doing a project in two countries? I mean, are the traditions the same? Are they different? What, how did you come up with this idea of doing it in Turkey and Egypt? Yeah, it's, as we said, that uh, the, the knowledge is deteriorating. It means that no, no one holds the, the full knowledge himself by his own. And you need actually to bring more than one to capture as much as, as you can from the knowledge. And even with, uh, with this trial, you might end up that there's also, there are also missing points that you need to involve others in. So the, this, is the only, this is not the only two I will be working with, but this is for this project. And it, working in two countries is a must because Anatolia and, and Egypt, as we said, they are regions that the craft started in. Uh, but also because the craft has been deteriorating throughout time, uh, no one uh, holds the, the full knowledge. So I need actually to involve more than one. And involving one from Cairo and one from Istanbul was an idea to, to capture most of the knowledge. But also... When I have started this project as well, I found out that the knowledge that has, uh, that is in Amhassan's side, the Amhassan knowledge is a little bit different than Isma Tarzi knowledge. They might have the same product at the end, but the way of making is different. Amhassan is uh, more into manual work, how to do it all as has been done uh, 300, 400 years ago with the same tools, with the same techniques, with the same uh, uh, manual way, uh, but in Turkey, Esma Tazi is an engineer by profession, and he, he teaches himself the, the craft. He's more into using a stationary machine, power tools, more uh, elaborate tools to reproduce Kondikari. Uh, and it was a, a very good idea in this case to, to know from both sides how it is made. Thank you. So tell us about how you're going to digitize the knowledge and what you're going to do with the knowledge once you've captured it digitally. Digitization gave us a chance to, to capture and embed the knowledge in, in one file. So imagine if you are drafting um, this on the carry on paper, you cannot actually flip the paper and to see the other side. Digitization gives us the, the chance to work uh, with the modeling tools to model in 3D the Kondekari panels with all its components intricately as if you are capturing uh, this physical panel in a virtual panel. And with this virtual panel, 
you will be able to virtually explore. To, you can dismantle, you can reassemble, you can flip, you can rotate, you can actually see this panel from different views to know exactly how it is made. So the idea is actually to digitize the, the panel that will be revealing the geometry knowledge behind, the structural knowledge behind, the making knowledge behind. What will you do with it once you've done that? Who's going to have access to that knowledge? It's a very good format. There's virtual reality format to be disseminated over the social media. If you see, if you write Kondekari on Instagram, for example, or Pinterest, you will find hundreds of, of accounts that actually they publish Kondekari, they talk about Kondekari. And the platform is already there. What we need to do is, is, is to have a very good revealing uh, virtual reality f- file or, uh, yeah, and, and then to put it on this uh, platform, it will, it will go viral. Everybody will take it and see it. This would be the first time that they, they see how it is made. So you're targeting people that already know what Kundikari is? Our target group varies, actually. One is the, on the demand side and one in the, in the supply side. If we want to tackle the problem of the supply demand, so on the supply side, we said, yeah, it will be on all the platforms of the of social media that will be very accessible for the product designers, uh, furniture makers, car- carpenters, and so on. On the other side, the demand side will be seen by laymen, normal people, that for the first time, they will know how it is made. Then they will appreciate actually how it is made. They will appreciate the, the craft. They will, will start thinking about and in this case, they will have the question, why, why I cannot uh, afford to have this craft again? And on the supply side, if uh, a product designer will see this and for the first time they will know, they will open this black box and, and they will know how it is made. He will be asking him, himself, how can I make it now? Because it deserves to be reproduced. So, and this all is like a stimulating the, the community in both sides to think about the craft, to innovate because it is not a task of, of one person or a group. It's a task of a whole community to work on to, to bring uh, this craft back to the market. And you mentioned that there are very few masters left and that they're not very young. After raising awareness on the supply and the demand side, are there other ways that you can help the craft survive? Actually, the, the nice thing that uh, the, the craftsmen, yeah, it's, they are few. If we take Egypt as a, as a case, we, we might have three, three to five persons and also another three to five persons in, in Istanbul, in, in Turkey in, in, in general. And they are very few. They, these are the, the ones that are surviving. They are all actually between 50s and 70s years old. None of them are teaching or uh, they, they are trying to teach, to teach or to transfer the knowledge to their sons, but their sons is actually working on a different field. So there's no way of, of the t- technology transfer. So we are in front of the last generation, you know, the last samurai. <laughs> this is the last, the last generation of the crafts, craftsmen in this, in this case. If this craft revived, it means that it will be reproduced. So the question now is how should be reproduced? Should be reproduced as uh, Hassan Abu Zaid is doing manually, fully. And you, you need to know that uh, Hassan Abu Zaid, if he wants to do a member, it will take from him a year, a full year of work to do the member. It means that it, nobody can afford the full member in, in this case. 
except very very special uh, customers in turkey isma tarzi is working with machines more so but also still it's still expensive the chance in turkey is better than egypt because the government itself is still building big mosques big masjid and they use the kondakari in this masjid some of these kondakari are faked and some are authentic kondakari but in in this case if we have the chance to reproduce in Kondakari in a market viable way, it means that Am Hassan should benefit from this of being like a master of that. He can train people because the demand for the training will be higher. He can actually work as a designer more than to cut every piece himself, like thousands of pieces should be cut by his hand and he's 70 years old. So I think these craftsmen will change their their place, their position in the craft from being the doer, the maker, to, to be the designer more and to be the, the, the trainer, the teacher. And who or what will be the making process in a way that makes it more economical and more accessible? I, um, I claim that the Kakunda Kari Carpenter was always developing its tools through, through our time. And there was a point of time that they stopped to, to innovate in their tools. So for example, I'm hasn't to, to do a very precise, very narrow cuts without a big tolerance. The, he has to make his saw himself from a, a very, very thin piece of steel uh, to be able to cut these intricate cuts. So he's always doing that. He's, he's putting his jigs, he's developing his way of making and so on. And when, when they stop to do this, it, it, it starts to deteriorate. We need to continue in innovating in tools, how it should be made. And we are in a digital manufacturing time. We have now the ability to have digital manufacturing machines that can help Kondakari to be reproduced in less time, less cost. So you think that actually technology is a very important part of the survival of a craft or of this craft? Yes, craft is technology. And if the technology became stagnant and not moving, not actually developing with time, it it will be obsolete. And then the the craft itself will die. Without having this continuing uh, to innovate, no, no way to bring it back to the market. And have you thought of what tools you're going to develop or are you developing tools that will enable it to to yes. flourish in the market? Yeah, I'm very interested, even um, my, all my researches on tool making and tool development. I, I think uh, CNC machines, like a very special CNC machines, com- computer-aided machines, can make a difference in Kondikari. Yeah, we have the step, the manual step. We have the step that Asmatez is, is using, is actually using some CNC machines, only 2D CNC machines, to do the cuts intricately that the Am Hassan or like Hassan Abouzid is doing in Cairo by hand, but actually not the full pieces actually you can take from the machine. You need to bring the piece from the machine to another one, to another one, to another setup, to another jig to complete. But I'm developing a machine that can produce the full piece in one time. So with that, the digitization itself is, is a step. If you digitize the process digitize the pieces, then you will be able to take these files to, to manipulate the file sizes, the sizes of the panel, the sizes of the sizes of the inlays to the appropriate size you need, and then actually to 
to generate the G code, the, the machine language to the machines, and the machine will produce the part. It is not that easy. It needs steps of knowledge capturing, uh, digitization, and after digitization, the machine making or the tool making, tool development itself, and actually to master how to work on the tool in a, in a time efficient way. So what time frame are we talking about to produce this machine? Actually, it was, it was very important for me to, to capture the, the missing parts and the making process. And uh, this is, this is the, what the project is all about. And I feel uh, competent to, to be able to, to finish such initiative with the machine making by maybe the mid of next year. Oh, so very soon. Hopefully. Well, actually, what do you find most enjoyable and rewarding about this process of discovery of a craft through master craftsmen? Uh, yes, it's, uh, it's being with them, being with the craftsmen is, is a pleasure. Uh, so being beside Hassan Abu Zaid while he's, he's cutting, he's forming, he's uh, hitting the chisel and so on. And while he's working, actually, you have a full history in, in front of you. You have um, Hassan with, with himself as a history. Like he's keeping uh, telling you about his family, his, uh, his cousins, uh, uncles, father, uh, how he has been trained by them, uh, how they act to each other in the craft, uh, who is better than who, uh, who is becoming better than whom, and, and, and so on. So it's, like a, a, it's, not, it's not only like a very rigid uh, making process capturing, but actually capturing all the, the life of um, Hassan uh, and how he's doing this. Also, I anticipate that Mr. Tazi's story about his involvement in this craft is, will be fascinating because actually he's, a, he's an engineer. So it, it's an, another type of interesting story about how engineer became interested in Kondakari and how he tackled the whole problem and how he reproduced, how he teached himself. It's a very uh, unique story to, to be here. And what was the environment in which Am Hassan grew up? I mean, what were the relationships between all the members of the craft and his family and him? Be- because Kondakari making has been seen as mastery. So if every Kondakari master consider himself at the top of the craft, at the top of carpentry craft. And there's a huge amount of competition between the family members. Even they are family members, the father and son are competing. The uncles are competing with the father and so on. Everybody wants to be at the top of the craft and not only the carpentry, but at the top, even on the Kondakari making craft. So, and, and this is how it, how it was. So, uh, you, you need to know that the technology transfer from the father to the son was not fully. So the father always keep some knowledge for, for himself and not passing this knowledge to the son. And this is very strange. We all know that fathers are like, they are, they are givers. They will give everything to the sons. But with Kondikari, they feel it is a sacred craft. So it's, a, it's secrets as well. It's full of secrets and so on. So they, they are uh, cautious about what, what to transfer and what not to transfer. So this was the whole uh, environment. And would you say that part of becoming a master is discovering your own path and creating your own secrets and finding the solutions that no one has told you? This actually was what Hassan has done to, to excel. 
So some of these craftsmen, they, they stick to what they have learned. They are not taking out uh, any, any chance to go out of this to another way of doing or to discover way of doings um, different than the ones that they have learned. But Hassan Abu Zaid, one of the few that they excelled over his uncles and father even, because he's going out of the box, as we say. He's actually looking at things, learn, learning from looking at the panels itself, how it is made, and the, whatever it, it should be, he will do. So, uh, for example, if, uh, if his father got a panel that is different than, than the ones that have learned, then they will, they will say, no, no, I, I cannot do this. But in the case of Hassan Abu Zaid, he will say, yeah, I can do it. And then he, he will study it and do it. And this what what makes uh, one like Hassan Abu Zaid excel than the others. And in places where Kundikari is found historically, how important are the old pieces in inspiring new work? I mean, what's the relationship between someone like Hassan Abu Zaid and a panel from the 15th century, for example? You know, in the last uh, two years, Hassan Abu Zaid worked in a, in a very good initiative by the uh, Egyptian uh, Organization for uh, Heritage Preservation in Egypt, and they have been uh, trying to capture the the make the the panels like to to re to do sample of panels that is actually present real members like uh, historic ones, and sixty percent of these panels were new uh, for Hassan Abu Zaid. But the fascinating thing is that Hassan, when he look at the member, the the panel of the sides of the member. For example, he can figure out how it is made. He can learn from the tradition without dismantling the member, only seeing the, the, the face. Because he has the knowledge how it is made, then he can figure out. I remember once, actually, I spoke to a craftsman who said that one of the things that craft requires to survive is companionship. And do you think that your project of bringing masters from Turkey and Egypt together for the first time will help in sense of creating a community of craftsmen? Precisely. This is what was the aim. We, we are in a, in a world now that uh, you, you can, now we are talking online in different places. So it is easier now than ever to, to bring people together. But to have this interaction between me and you, I need to know you first. So having the, the craftsmen physically together, uh, appreciating their work, each other work, appreciating the new methods and, and also appreciating the old ones is a key to, to bring this uh, back. Thank you so much, Well, It's been really a fascinating conversation. And I wondered, as a final word, if you could give a word of advice or a comment to people in areas like Istanbul and Aleppo and Cairo and other places with disappearing craft traditions, what would your words be to them? Uh, I think is the, the, the main challenge for these disappearing crafts is, is actually our preservation attitude. We are thinking of these crafts as it should be frozen. It should be uh, put in museums, uh, restored, and so on. But I do think that to preserve these crafts, they need to be brought back to the market. And all these crafts, they, the Kondikari at the top of them and, and all the, the heritage and traditional crafts deserve to stimulate contemporary product design and be one of the leading arts and crafts in the world. The challenge is only 
our romantic attitude that the craft should be made manually with the same tools, with the same time pace, and without a serious tool innovation for craft making, the craft will die, as we said. Not only Kundakari, but all traditional crafts and its production heritage is not ruins to cry on, actually. It's a chance to bring us back to compete in the international markets, to generate jobs, to stimulate innovation. It's a great base of knowledge and excellence that can help us to excel and give the world the chance again to enjoy such incredible art and crafts.